It's said that during the Trojan War, to end a 10-year-long siege, Odysseus convinced the Greeks to construct a giant wooden horse. After the construction, though, the Greeks sailed away, leaving the horse behind as an offering to Athena as recompense for the annihilation of her temple at Troy. Sinon tells the Trojans about the offering, and almost goads them a bit by telling them the horse was built to be too big to fit within their walls. Only one priest, Laocoon, and a handful of royalty questioned the offering, but nevertheless, the Trojans pulled the horse into their own city as a prize for a victory in this conflict. What the Trojans didn't realize, however, was that inside the horse was a company of the Achaeans' best soldiers, led by Odysseus himself. And that night, the Greeks would sneak out of a horse to open the gates for the remainder of the army, which had sailed back using the cover of nightfall to their advantage. This would result in the destruction of Troy and the end of a war. That image of a Trojan horse is something that's transcended the myths and history books and made its way into many a lexicon. In fact, it's something that we use pretty frequently in cybersecurity. Ever hear of a Trojan virus? Well, same concept. Instead of endlessly attacking from a front, what if you disguised yourself as something legitimate? What if you were something that was expected to be seen? And in fact, what if you were something that you went out and bought yourself? I'm John Cordes, and today we're going back to the end of 2020, because I've got a story that would make Odysseus proud, even if it was the bane of the industry for a little while. So come with me, because today I'm going to tell you what Michelle happened in the Solar Winds hack, and why this was such a big deal. On a side note before we get started, if Odysseus and his crew made the first Trojan horse, and Laocoon and the others tried to warn the king, but the king went with this anyways, does that make Laocoon and his crew the first antivirus to be bypassed? Alright, well, let's get into it. And this might be a little bit counterintuitive, but before we can talk about what the SolarWinds hack even is, I need to take you to another hack that was discovered in early December of 2020. On Tuesday, December 8th, 2020, a company named FireEye announced that it had been breached and some of its own proprietary tools had been taken by what they suspected to be a nation-state level attack. FireEye itself, being a cybersecurity firm, had many different things that could be valuable, from information on customers to homebrewed tools that were made by the firm for their own use. They weren't small-time cyber either. They were seasoned veterans in the field and people who really knew what they were doing. You've probably actually heard me talk about them because many times FireEye is one of the first companies that the government will look to to help investigate breaches. At the time of their hack, they were worth about $3.5 billion. That's to say that this isn't some startup or small operation. This is a massive target to go after. The tools that seemed to have been stolen included their own internal suite for red teaming. That's a tool set that was used for when they're testing the security of companies that contract them to try to break in or replicate an attack against their firm. This pretty quickly reminded a lot of people of a shadow brokers leak and how the Lazarus group immediately weaponized some of what came out after the NSA based tools and exploits were published to the internet. So needless to say, there was a bit of hustle to assess the risk because this could go pretty big. Now, this suite wasn't quoted as having any zero day or unknown vulnerabilities that were in use, but it was a rather powerful platform that made performing the testing much more streamlined and easy to do. This was one of their secret sauces, and now it was in the hands of a nation state? 
To say the least, they were not pleased, and so they began the process of investigating how exactly this could have happened. And to figure out how it happened, FireEye would need to comb through logs that impacted systems, start to trace where things might have been exfiltrated to, and how. It was a bit of a daunting task, and it would take many hours and analysts to begin the real process of assessing the situation. By the 13th of December, five days later, here's what they had for the public. First, they're tracking whoever did this using the name UNC2452. Second, after an initial compromise, they became very patient and used rather advanced techniques to hide themselves. That's done in order to avoid detection and evade any kind of tool that might try to restrict their access. We've talked about this before. A thorough and effective attack doesn't need to be quick. Oftentimes, it isn't. A true attacker can and will wait, gathering everything they can before risking any kind of alerting of their presence. Next, FireEye told everyone that they're going to share common ways in which you can detect the use of your own platform to help defenders figure out if a malicious actor is using the FireEye Red Team platform against their company. And perhaps most prescient of all, they determined that the initial attack vector here stemmed not from a phishing email or a proprietary system that they owned. They determined that this hack, well, it came from a tool that they bought called Orion, made by a company named SolarWinds. Let's use that pivot to get to know SolarWinds now. SolarWinds is an IT company that was started in 1999 by a former Walmart executive and his brother. In the years since its foundation, it would move from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Austin, Texas on the physical front and into IT service management on the product front. SolarWinds would grow to the point where it and its 1,800 or so employees were acquired for $4.5 billion in a private deal in 2015 before going back public in 2018 another cyber company that wasn't exactly small beans. As of December 2020, it had 300,000 customers, including almost every single Fortune 500 company. But not every one of those would be impacted by this hack because it was found that only one of the tools was compromised here. The tool that was used by FireEye and almost 33,000 other companies, a tool called Orion. Orion was a platform that was simple enough. Essentially, it offered a view into all the different vendors and systems in use for IT process management under one roof. It was a way to monitor at a high level and avoid needing to move from one place to another to aggregate data for all your different IT sources. What FireEye determined was that SolarWinds was breached in a way that made it so that the attackers could apply malicious code to legitimate updates that were going out. Specifically, there was one key element that was called the Sunburst Backdoor, which would make use of legitimately signed and validated components of the update to send code that communicated with the HTTP protocol back to attacker servers. That's to say that this was all signed, legitimized, and looked like a real update. This was not necessarily something that you would be tricked into downloading. It would just be a normal part of your process, and it would use legitimate protocols to communicate back to the home attack servers. The code had a bit of a dormant period, too. It wouldn't be applied and then immediately start performing attacks. It would wait almost two weeks before it did anything. And think about that from any kind of investigative mindset. It doesn't even need to be cyber-related. If you notice a problem, any kind of problem, that wasn't there before, the first question is often, well, what's different? You would look for recent changes to the environment, so by waiting two weeks, you're increasing how far back someone needs to go and the amount of potential changes that need to be sifted through in order to figure out what 
actually caused this to happen. After that dormancy period, the Sunburst plugin would execute jobs that could do anything from transfer files, do reconnaissance like system profiling, turn specific services on and off on systems, or even run executable files. These are things that add up to the ability to do some serious damage to anything integrated with a platform. And as I keep saying here, this was all placed in legitimately created updates. The updates themselves would run from March 2020 all the way to May 2020. And if you're there at home sitting around thinking, well, it's okay as long as they upgraded afterwards, the system should be fine. Yeah, sure, that system would be fine and the update wouldn't have that problem anymore. But how often do you think a major threat actor is going to use just one way to keep access? UNC2452 had several months where if you upgraded to one of those malicious updates, you could have been compromised, and the attackers would have plenty of time to move in and establish other footholds in any system that they could get their hands on. Not only that, but we're talking about this breach that was discovered at the start of December. I'm sure each and every one of those 33,000 companies that used the tool have a great patch management program that would do testing and updates on a regular basis, right? And if you couldn't pick up the sarcasm there, I don't know how many places wouldn't do that, but it's a lot. People lag frequently behind on their updates, whether it's because they just aren't a priority or they don't have the manpower to do it. There's a lot of reasons to let your system just sit on whatever update it's on and not really touch it, especially if it's working. After all, why would you want to just risk downtime like that? That kind of mentality is a big doorway for hackers, or situations like this, where those updates would probably stay online long after a clean version was rolled out to the public, just because they hadn't gotten around to it yet. And so we're back to that week of December 8th, and after sifting through over 50,000 lines of code and analysis, the FireEye team has found out how their toolkit was stolen. Next up, well, I think it's time that they had to talk with SolarWinds and make the public aware that this is happening. So now, we're on December 13th. The at SolarWinds Twitter account has now posted a tweet that says, quote, SolarWinds asks all customers to upgrade immediately to Orion Platform version 2020.2.1HF1 to address a security vulnerability. They also go on to link their own security advisory. If you're a little confused about that software version, it can be broken down by saying 2020 is the year the update occurred, it was major version 2, minor version 1, and HF1 is hotfix 1. That's 2020.2.1HF1. That kind of hotfix update is usually something small like removing or disabling an impacted component if it's not critical, or applying a workaround that might not fix the root problem but would stop the attack. I don't have the exact advisory of that day because those are updated as they go to provide information, but this is what they had to say regarding the attack as a part of its current iteration. Quote, This attack was a very sophisticated supply chain attack, which refers to a disruption in a standard process resulting in a compromised result with the end goal of being able to attack subsequent users of the software. In this case, it appears that the code was intended to be used in a targeted way, as the exploitation requires some level of manual intervention. We've been advised that the nature of this attack indicates that it may have been conducted by an outside nation state, but SolarWinds has not verified the identity of the attacker. While Sunspot is the means by which the attackers injected the Sunburst backdoor during the build process of the Orion platform, 
Teardrop and Raindrop are reportedly malware loaders that could be deployed as secondary tools using the backdoor. Sunspot, Teardrop, and Raindrop are not new vulnerabilities within our products, as some reports in the media have indicated, but instead they are elements of the Sunburst attack chain. That's to say a couple little things. First, that the attack needs some level of interaction on the attacker's side. It's not entirely automated. That last bit was exactly what I was talking about earlier when I said they wouldn't stop at initial access. They would use Teardrop and Raindrop, already existing tools, to create an inevitable progression after the initial exploit to further compromise victims and maintain persistent access on the compromised network. SolarWinds wasn't the only group issuing advisories on the 13th either. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, issued their own alert regarding this. They echoed pretty much the same as the above, except they also included a more firm hand on how impacted government agencies need to respond. That included immediately disconnecting the Orion product from your network, blocking any and all traffic to devices with Orion software installed, and removing potentially compromised accounts completely. In addition to that, they asked agencies to report by noon on the following day, Eastern Time, if they saw any of the indicators of compromise that were listed in the article. Those indicators of compromise are things like files that could be found, traffic communications, anything that might identify there's potentially a problem. This was an all-hands-on-deck from every public agency because the government used SolarWinds extensively. I remember this being a big moment in the field. The CISA response wasn't something we see very often, and honestly, it was handled pretty alright, all things considered. A swift call to action, with deadlines. Those can sometimes be tough, but this was warranted. Those alerts both came pretty late on Sunday, the 13th, so let's hop to bed and wake up on Monday, the 14th. This is the first day that the markets are open since the public was notified that the SolarWinds hack had happened, and remember how I told you that SolarWinds went public again after the private deal? Well, it was now time to let the shareholders know that, hey, something funky is going on and you need to be informed or legally we could be screwed. There's no form specifically for someone poisoning the secret sauce, so SolarWinds settled for the next best thing, which is an SEC Form 8K. A Form 8K is something the companies must file when major events that impact the firm could occur that the shareholders might want to be made aware of. It's a pretty easy form to find online, but it's not a great read, so I'll spare you the details. Basically, some of the reasons that you might want to file a Form 8K are bankruptcy, debt incurrence, a change to the fundamental business itself, corporate restructuring, amendments to the bylaws, election results, and there's a lot more. There's a huge umbrella that a lot of stuff can fall under, but basically, anytime it's filed, it's usually for something big. So on the 14th, the shareholders would find out directly that this was something big. Now, with that being done, SolarWinds had to shift over back to damage control, and that would lead into the next day, the 15th. Now that this had been made public and people were clued in, it was partially on the industry to respond and get their stuff together. SolarWinds at that point had an estimated 18,000 companies that downloaded impacted updates. That's 18,000 possible victims that need to do a full response to this and however many more that will just need to verify that they're not impact. Now we're starting to get to the point that the mainstream press is reporting on this as well, not just tech outlets. After all, this was a nation-state level attack, and now details were starting to come forward that pointed the finger at Russia. The servers that were being communicated to, and the tactics involved, pointed specifically at APT29, Cozy Bear. This isn't very surprising, as we're already familiar with how Russia can do a chunk of damage with a hacking group, 
but it's still an important thing to consider because this is another different APT than we've already talked about. And well, this wasn't a spam email, it remains to this day one of the most well-crafted cyber attacks known to have occurred. It was mentioned before, but it's what's called a supply chain attack. If your victim represents a link on the chain, and you don't want to take the time and effort to do damage on that one particular link of the chain, you could theoretically aim slightly higher up. And then, when you do so, you might see that others are clipped into that link as well, and the damage that you do there could ripple back down to those other areas that are connected. Hence, the supply chain. Well, we've been talking about the big link that is Orion, but now let's list some of the links that were impacted downstream. Let's get you an idea of how far and wide this actually hit. We know government agencies are a big one, after all, CISA named them specifically as a victim. So on that list, we've got the U.S. Commerce and Treasury Department, the Department of Homeland Security, the National Institute of Health, and the State Department. Talk about big arms of the government being hit there. Do you want to do some damage to a financial arm of the government? Maybe snoop around on the COVID numbers and response in the Institute of Health. Hell, want to see what's going on in the executive branch? The attack surface was just being unveiled minute by minute and growing far and wide. Not only that, but at this point, they had only just found out that the malicious updates went as far back as March 2020. So now we've got a bigger scope of impact on SolarWinds as well, and people need to adjust to take a look and see if they downloaded any of these in that time frame. Over the coming days, more government victims would be announced, like the Energy Department, the National Nuclear Security Administration, and many of those Fortune 500 companies as well. That National Nuclear Security Administration? That's the team that manages the policies and the maintenance and the upkeep of all of our nuclear weapons. It's a pretty big target. The systems don't go directly to the weapons, but it's tangential and it's close enough that it's scary. The reason I'm building up all this stress on the governmental impact is because of how easily it crept into almost every facet of the government infrastructure. And yeah, CISA responded well. But you might notice that there's one government figure I haven't commented about because he was silent on it all the way up until December 19th. After over a week of investigations concluding that this was in all likelihood a cyber attack performed by Russia, with much evidence to support that, President Donald Trump would take to Twitter to address the hack publicly for the first time. He said, quote, The cyber hack is far greater in a fake news media than in actuality. I have been fully briefed and everything is well under control. Russia, Russia, Russia is a priority chant when anything happens because lamestream is, for mostly financial reasons, petrified of discussing the possibility that it may be China. It may. There could also have been a hit on our ridiculous voting machines during the election, which is now obvious that I won big, making it an even more corrupted embarrassment for the USA. There's a lot to unpack there, even before it's completely derailed to his own personal opinion on an entirely separate topic. And to play it a little bit delicately, I'm not going to say anything opinionated about the tweet, only this small set of facts that I want you to do with what you will. Over a week of investigations by multiple private companies, CISA, and hundreds of experts in the field had occurred up until this point. Servers that had been previously tied to Russia were in use. Tactics that have been noted with use of malware developed by Russian actors were in play. And still, after being debriefed with CISA, an organization that was built under his own administration, presenting APT-29 in Russia as being involved, he is downplaying the impact and casting doubt as to who could have done this.
That was a blow to the traction of getting this handled on time because it casts doubt from such a high level, and that meant that some people were going to want to reassess what was going on. Not only that, but this was one of those moments where an entire industry, an industry where I've known people on every possible side of a political spectrum, looked back at Mr. Trump and said, what the hell are you talking about? Luckily for us, what largely ended up happening was that the industry may have had a stutter step for a moment, but the Secretary of State, Pompeo, came back and affirmed that this was pretty clearly Russia. The industry kept updating and would move along trying to corral the problems that were popping up from a spread of the malware. Perhaps one of those biggest impact events from a spread would be made public on New Year's Eve, the night before 2021. That's when Microsoft revealed that after they were impacted, Russian actors made out with some of the source code for their software. Microsoft affirmed that they couldn't have made any changes to the code that would propagate in the same way that happened with Orion, but they were able to read it in plain text. Now some of you might think, oh good, that's great, Microsoft isn't as impacted as they could have been. But with source code like this, it presented a bit of a unique opportunity. You see, once source code is done and ready, it gets compiled as it gets ready to ship out and becomes a lot harder to actually figure out. There are ways to obfuscate the code, encrypt it, and any number of possible methods to ensure that you don't see behind the curtain. All you get is that finished product. Part of that is so that people don't just steal and remake your software, and part of it is because coders aren't perfect, and not every tool is perfect. By looking at the source code, you get a glimpse of all the possible imperfections that could be in play. All the different places that might be worth looking at if you want to try and break the application or get it to do something that you want. There could be old code libraries or vulnerable pieces of code that are in use. Or maybe they just didn't do a great job at perfectly checking each piece of their own homebrewed material. Programmers aren't perfect, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when stuff like this gets leaked, it can shine a light directly on where those imperfections are and have big ripples out. Think about it more like this. With each month that passed after that point, as Microsoft released more and more security updates to address vulnerabilities, that might be under active attack. How many of those might have come about because an enemy researcher got their hands on this code and found the little blemish? So we're into the first week of 2021 now. I know for most of us that week, and January 6th in particular, were of particular impact, but just before that, on the 5th, a joint statement was released by the FBI, CISA, and the NSA. Here are some of the more interesting snippets. Quote, On behalf of President Trump, the National Security Council staff has stood up a task force constructed known as the Cyber Unified Coordination Group, composed of the FBI, CISA, the ODNI, with support from the NSA to coordinate the investigation and remediation of this significant incident involving federal government networks. The UCG is still working to understand the scope of the incident, but has the following updates on its investigative and mitigation efforts. This work indicates that an advanced persistent threat actor, likely Russian in origin, is responsible for most or all of a recently discovered ongoing cyber compromise of both government and non-governmental networks. At this time, we believe this was and continues to be an intelligence gathering effort. We are taking all necessary steps to understand the full scope of the campaign and respond accordingly. So now we're at least presenting a unified front on the response and acknowledgement. But one thing that was of concern was that there was seemingly no political response from the White House on this. 
No acknowledgement of this being a legitimate act of cyber war. Beyond saying, yeah, it was probably Russia. We're going to investigate. It was a frustrating point for many people in the field. The next few weeks would be marked in a bit of turmoil as the country recovered from the January 6th insurrection events. Unfortunately, SolarWinds would take a bit of a backseat while that was addressed. On the SolarWinds front, things weren't necessarily winding down, but I think they had reached what I would call an apex. Mitigating controls and identifiers were developed, plans should have been implemented to detect and resolve, and things were starting to return to a bit more of a status quo than they were. CISA would expand their report to include many specific details on how this attack might have gone undetected for so long. For example, we talked about how they disguised their traffic under a legitimate protocol. It had that delay period. And one of the cooler things, I think, was that the malware would try to look for indicators that might tell it it's in a sandbox environment. That's an environment that forensic investigators might use to research and observe how a malware behaves and try to reverse engineer it. And if it hit any number of these predetermined checks that were built in that said, yeah, I'm in a sandbox, it would just stop functioning. And once they got onto the network, if possible, they might try to add legitimate tokens for access that wouldn't trigger any kind of alert when they were used. Then they could use those to move laterally across the network and have it look like legitimate traffic. Finally, we're heading into February. As the next president had taken office, the Biden administration was quickly left with the pieces that still were being urged to be addressed from this situation. Namely, was the government going to take any official action against Russia for this? Pressure did start to mount. After all, this was a pretty easy win for them to start the term with. There was legitimate evidence and no response, so almost any action at all would be a step up from what had already happened. In mid-February, that response started to take real shape, as Biden started to come out decrying his predecessor's neglect on the issue. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor to Biden at the time, said that the president would begin to look at responses after a more thorough congressional investigation of the incident took place. Here's what Biden said specifically about the threat. The truth is this. The Trump administration failed to prioritize cybersecurity. It did that from eliminating or downgrading cyber coordinators in both the White House and at the State Department, to firing the Director of Cyber Space and Infrastructure Security Agency, to President Trump's irrational downplaying of the seriousness of this attack. Enough's enough. In an age when so much of our lives are conducted online, cyber attacks must be treated as a serious threat by our leadership at the highest levels. And the week after that, the congressional hearings would begin. The first congressional hearing had SolarWinds, FireEye, CrowdStrike, and Microsoft testifying to the Intelligence Committee of the Senate. It was an interesting start when it was found that Amazon did not attend. Now, they were expected to attend, because it was found that some of the Amazon servers were a part of the attack infrastructure used, and I suspect that the committee wanted to know how Amazon didn't know about this and why they may or may not have acted on it. So we've got these four big giants, four of the bigger private companies that might have been impacted by this or investigated this, and they're here at Congress starting to share their investigative process and all the details that they found to really complete the picture. One thing that I really liked about these hearings was that in order to get the most clear and transparent assessment of the situation, there was a level of amnesty and protection put in place 
that would allow a small bit of liability and protection to those that would come forward to talk about the issues. And this is something that is really needed, I think. That is to say, a level of transparency and open communication about cyber incidents. Currently today, there's guidance for when a breach should be reported and what kind of information should be disclosed. For example, the EU General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR as you might know it, requires breaches to be reported within 72 hours of it becoming known. That's a fine clock to assess and report, but it almost assuredly won't have a full picture of the incident. It's a great start, but we can do better. In the US, we have breach notifications as well, but I think there's always a level of not necessarily miscommunication, but withholding communication about the full level of the incident until someone's asked about it. I think that gross cyber negligence should be allowed similar protections to whistleblowers that report financial crimes under the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, or the False Claims Act that protects whistleblowers coming forward with reports of government fraud. It needs to be codified that cyber whistleblowers should receive some level of protection so that we can potentially hit risks like this much earlier in the process that's not to say that this could have been hit as hard early on, but there is a trend where oftentimes what happens is a security researcher might report on a vulnerability, forcing the company to come out and address it, even if internally it might have already been known and it had just been put off. Speaking of early on, there is one piece I'm realizing we never really got to. We know how far this went, we know how FireEye got hacked, but how did they get into SolarWinds? There had to be an initial hack there, right? And I want to pause real quick and say that there still isn't a 100% clear answer on this. It doesn't seem like it was phishing, but many believe that it involved the use of open source data that was readily available for a period of time. You see, a lot like many other coders, programmers at SolarWinds used GitHub to publish pieces of code. Well, in 2018, an intern accidentally published a piece of code that was publicly accessible and contained a password in clear text. And the password that was found was SolarWinds123. That's SolarWinds, that's all lowercase, by the way. That password was possibly something that could have been used in one of their file upload platforms. And some speculate that's how they got the malicious updates into the rotation, by using that password in tandem with the file upload platform to upload the malicious update packages. SolarWinds denies that this is the reason and suggests some level of password spray or brute force attempt could have been the ticket in. But this is indicative of, I think, a bigger issue. Namely, how was that password allowed to be used in the first place? Most companies have a policy that prevents the use of certain passwords. Passwords that are based on company name, the region or the sports teams that are tangential to the physical locations of a company. Seasons and years are all things that should be banned when creating a password. A tool should have flagged this. After all, these are all things that could be pretty easily turned around by entering a small amount of information into a password generation tool and letting that thing do its work and then turning it back on the company. But the hearings would continue, and ultimately, in April, President Biden would enact fiscal sanctions against Russia for their involvement in this and other crimes, as well as expelling a certain number of Russian diplomats that were representatives of the intelligence services. Here's a snippet from that sanction, that said, quote, Today, the United States is formally naming Russian Foreign Intelligence Services, also known as APT-29, Cozy Bear, or the Dukes, as the perpetrator of a broad-scope cyber espionage campaign that exploited the SolarWinds, Orion platform, and other information technology infrastructures. The U.S. Intelligence Committee has high confidence in its assessment of attribution to the SVR. 
The SVR's compromise of a solar wind supply chain gave it the ability to spy on or potentially disrupt more than 16,000 computer systems worldwide. The scope of this compromise is a national security and public safety concern. Moreover, it places an undue burden on the mostly private sector victims who must bear the unusually high cost of mitigating the incident. Today, the NSA, CISA, and the FBI are issuing a joint cybersecurity advisory titled Russian SVR targets US and allied networks. This provides specific details on software vulnerabilities that the SVR used to gain access to victim devices and networks. The advisory will also provide specific steps that network defenders can take to identify and defend against this malicious cyber activity. Additionally, the SVR's compromise of SolarWinds and other companies highlight the risk posed by Russia's efforts to target companies worldwide through supply chain exploitation. Those efforts should serve as a warning about the risks of using information and communications technologies and services supplied by companies that operate or store data in Russia or rely on software development and remote support by personnel in Russia. The U.S. government is evaluating whether to act under Executive Order 13873 to better protect our supply chain from further exploitation. So what they're saying at the end there is that expect this to keep happening. If you do business with Russia, if you use Russian tools, if you use anything that might make its way through Russia as a part of your own business process, I think it's safe to be worried that that's a part of a chain and they may use that to their advantage. And we've known Russia to be a big bad in the cyber world before. We've known the damage that they can cause. But between election issues and this coming so closely together, I hope it demonstrates how big of a hold they can really get. This uprooted many lives for weeks on end, just like they said above. This put an undue amount of pressure on the private sector. And while it's mostly over now, significant damage was done and shots were fired. This extended far enough that even if you were not directly impacted, you were still reaching out to all the companies that might have been working with you and asking, hey, are you using SolarWinds? Are you impacted by this? Can you tell me how much? Ask any professional that was working in the field during that time frame. And I'm sure they'll have either some kind of story about their fix, or they'll say, thank God they weren't impacted by it. I'm John Cordes, and thanks for listening to me explain what the shell happened with the SolarWinds hack. I hope you learned a little bit more about the supply chain and how big of an issue that could be today. Just a couple of quick things before we close out the show. As a reminder, we've got a store now. If you want a shirt, sticker, or patch, we've got some fun little things that I think you might like. It's at store.whattheshellpod.com. If you want to participate a bit in some of the discussions that we have, you can also just go to whatvishalpod.com and click the Discord logo, or click the link that's in the description here. That'll take you to our channel where I try to be pretty active with anyone that's there. We talk a little bit about episodes or just general projects that you or I might be working on. And lastly, if you want to see more behind the scenes kind of stuff or less show related stuff, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at shell underscore pod. Thanks, and I'll see you again in two weeks.